Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. As Easter is upon us, many people will be looking for a church to attend. Consider extending an invitation to those around you, neighbors, co-workers, friends, and family. We hope that you enjoyed today's sermon by Senior Pastor Shane Page. You know, I've been worshiping on this day for, for some time now, and this day never ceases to just amaze me at how odd it is and the emotions that we experience. We began with the palms, but we all know that the crowds did not celebrate Jesus for very long. This is the week of his passion, and so now the service begins to turn as we commemorate the suffering of our Lord. If you're visiting with us, what we've been doing during Lent is we've been studying together the Lord's Prayer, taking each petition line by line, and today we would come to the final petition that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, and that is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's think about that in the context of what Jesus would have experienced on this week. So we heard the liturgy of the palms Kyle read to us, but now I'm going to switch that story. Let's hear what Jesus experienced just a few days later in the Garden of Gethsemane. I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading this morning of our gospel. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So? You could not stay awake with me one hour. Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And before you are seated... Let us say the words that Jesus taught us to pray together as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. So, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, on the surface, it kind of sounds like what we're doing there is, is we're trying to talk God out of putting us in a bad situation, 
I'm like, Lord, don't, don't lead me into a place where it's going to be a predicament where I will have no defenses at all. And yet this actually is not correct because the Bible, especially the New Testament, is so clear that God never leads us into any place of just utter trouble where we're left to ourselves. God is always the God for us. In the letter of James, in the first chapter, James says something like this to the the Christians there. He says, if anyone is tempted, don't let that person say, God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt anyone. It's not who God is. God is the God who is always for us. You know, one of the people who translates uh, the Greek here, lead us not into temptation, there are some who translate this a little bit differently. You could say, like the title of my sermon, save us from the time of trial. Save us from the time of trial. In other words, see, to be a Christian, to be a Christian is not actually to be protected by a battle of wills out in the world. Actually, to be a Christian is to be thrust into a battle of wills in the world. We are surrounded all the time by all of these forces and all of these voices that surround us and are vying and competing for our allegiance. So temptation and testing simply comes with the territory of being a follower of Jesus. Once you are baptized, you are set into a fight, into a battle. So every time somebody wrongs us, every time you find yourself walking down Main Street or in the mall and all these windows saying, come in here, the good life is in here. Every time you stumble along a little extra cash, a little money in your life. Every time you turn on the TV and you see these images that you know will just spoil your imagination. You are being tested. That's the test. And the question always is, how are you going to respond as a disciple of Christ? So the Lord's Prayer here What you're really saying, as we just said, is, Lord, help me stay the course. Lord, keep me from compromising my identity as a follower of Jesus. Temptation comes with a territory. And here on this Palm Sunday, we see Jesus now being thrust into the throes of his temptation. Oh, they greeted him with palm branches on Sunday, waving the palms. But by Thursday night, we find Jesus underneath the branches of olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, it was Adam in the book of Genesis, the first man of God, who said in a garden, the Garden of Eden, more or less, God, not your will, but my will be done. Not what you want, O Lord. But what I want, and according to the story of Genesis, sin enters the world in a garden. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus, a garden, the true man of God. And he's praying, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. It's as if Jesus in these moments are reversing what Adam did in a garden. Maybe Jesus was thinking about his mother Mary. I mean, Mary, um, the night the angel Gabriel visited her, what did she say to the angel when he says the Lord wants to use your body as his vessel and she says so be it she said not what I want but what God wants let that will be done I mean could it be that Jesus praying here in the garden was thinking about his mother Jesus now being tempted you know uh, you can really think and imagine that the entire life of Jesus was one prolonged temptation this is very interesting to me there are a lot of historians who can imagine and I can imagine with them that Jesus actually would have been tempted. He would have been attracted by at least four 
options, we could say, four different kinds of worldviews that he could have chosen to shape what his ministry was going to be about. All of these options I'm going to explain to you were in full force in Jesus' day. They're still kind of around today. Four options. Let's talk about those real quick. One option that may have tantalized Jesus a little bit was what we would call the separatist option. He could have been a separatist. He could have moved out way into the wilderness to live by himself or maybe with a few others to read the Torah and to try to cultivate a very holy life and to believe that God's kingdom would come if there was just a few people who, who renounced the things of this world entirely and moved out and, and just studied the Bible and just studied the Torah over and over again. There was actually a group of people who did this. Uh, they were called the Essenes, the Essenes. They believed God's kingdom would come if there was a group of people who would move way out of a society's way and just live a life of holiness. Jesus could have been a separatist. You think of uh, monks today are kind of like this. Uh, the Amish, not quite the same, but people who just separate themselves. Well, Jesus didn't choose that way, but it was on offer. Another option Jesus could have chosen, he could have chosen what I'm going to call the religious option. He could have just said, I am going to study the Torah. I am going to keep kosher. I am going to stake a Jewish identity in the midst of a very pagan world. And I'm going to differentiate myself from all these other Jews who may have sold their faith out for other things. This is what the Pharisees did. It's the Pharisee option. See, the Pharisees believed that God's kingdom would come if there was just some people who would just study the Bible who would just live differently and not engage anything out there. Just keep kosher, stake an identity, follow the letter of the law. Well, Jesus didn't choose that way either. He didn't choose the religious option and just follow the letter of the law. So he rejected the Pharisee option. (laughs) There are those who say Methodism is kind of like this. You know, we want you to live differently. But he did not choose that way. There was a third way, third option Jesus could have chosen that would have tempted him. We could call it the accommodationist option. The, if you can't beat them, what? Join them option. See, Jesus, like some people could have said, hey, the Roman Empire is in charge of our country. They're always going to be in charge, but maybe if we partner with them, and kind of join their ranks and put ourselves in positions of power, then maybe we, the people of God, can begin to promote our values through the government. This is what the Sadducees did. The Sadducees made a partnership with the governing authorities of Rome. And in exchange for their partnership... The Roman government said that they would give the temple priests a subsidy to operate the temple. And it was generous too. But there was a catch. The Roman official said, if you're going to partner with us, Sadducees, we'll give you money to operate the, the temple. But you can't do anything to undermine our government. As a matter of fact, why don't you tell them that we are actually good for the Jewish people? If you can't beat them, join them. Think about these three that I've just named, the separatist option, the religious option, the accommodationist option. Even though they're a little different, they actually have one thing in common, and that is they leave the establishment alone. They don't do anything to change the status quo. 
Everything stays the same. Jesus could have been tempted by that, but he didn't. But there was one more option that would have tempted Jesus, and I believe on Palm Sunday, this temptation reached its head. And that's the zealot option. It's the holy war option. Launch a religious, bloody riot against the Romans, and let's take our country back for God. You know, Jesus actually had, uh, as far as we know, at least two disciples who were zealots. There was Simon, the zealot. Uh, There was also Judas, who was a zealot, the one who turned Jesus over for just a few pieces of silver. You know, it would have been these two and others who would have been in Jesus' ear all the time to push him. Come on, Jesus, launch the zealot option. Let's, Let's launch a bloody riot in the city. You know, as the uh, peasants were greeting Jesus with these palm branches, you know what the crowds would have anticipated? They may have anticipated a military victory because that's what these palms represent, a military victory. I've shared this with you every year, every year I've, I've been here, but 200 years before Palm Sunday, there was a Jewish band of freedom fighters who launched an attack against the temple, the same temple Jesus is approaching, that had been taken hostage by the Syrians. And these band of Jewish freedom fighters, they they launched into a violent revolt. They took the temple back. And you know what happened after the temple was taken back? You know what the people did in celebration? They waved their palm branches. See, this is why Governor Pilate and his security forces came into Jerusalem on that first Sunday. They wanted to be sure there was not any riots and uprising in Jerusalem that week. Hundreds of thousands of Jews would have been streaming in for Passover week. Now think about that. Recall what Passover actually is. See, Passover is the commemoration of the time that God delivered the Jewish people from the hands of their foreign oppressors in Egypt. And now the foreign oppressors are the Romans. So with a crowd of people waving their palm branches, you can be darn sure that Pilate's security forces would have marked Jesus out for any possible uprising. And and the irony of it all is that everybody missed the symbolism. Jesus did not come riding into Jerusalem on the instrument of a soldier. That would have been a horse. He came into Jerusalem riding what? A donkey. This is what farmers use. This is what farmers still use. And they completely missed the point. See, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He wasn't going to be like the separatists and the accommodations. He was actually going to engage the temple. (laughs) He was actually going to engage the system and the establishment and to make some ways, but he was not going to do it on the terms of the zealots. He was not going to do it on the terms of the Roman Empire. See, the Roman Empire, and I guess the temple priests that supported them, uh, they, they believed that you could use force to get your way, but, but Jesus knew that God's kingdom, if it was really going to be different, it, it could not use the same tools as the zealots. It could not use the same tools of the Romans. It would have to be something different. And so what happened is that Jesus said that God's empire was going to come not through violence, 
but through the suffering of violence. We can imagine this Palm Sunday that what we're really seeing is the collision of two empires. On the one hand, it's the empire of Rome with the temple priests backing them, embodied in the man Pontius Pilate. And then on the other hand, we have the empire of God now (laughs) coming in on a donkey embodied in Jesus of Nazareth. Both empires believed in peace, but only one was peaceful. Oh, the people oppressed by the powers that be, they just greeted him. They just greeted Jesus with such anticipation, thinking that this man was at long last going to launch the revolt, launch a revolution on our terms, that our will would at last be done. Until it wasn't. It wasn't the wrath of God that impaled Jesus on that tree. It was the wrath of a people disappointed. The death of Jesus was the result of a religious institution that had grown to enjoy its government benefits in exchange for a little patriotic support. And it was the result of a duly appointed politician, Pilate, who believed it was his job to enforce the interests of national security. The torture and execution of this innocent man exposes us That even the best of our religious institutions, that even our most efficient political systems can and will protect their interests at all costs, even if it means they have to murder the Son of God. But the death and execution of this innocent man this week exposes God for who God is that even when we do our absolute worst to him, this God will not succumb to the temptation to return the evil we did. This week, Jesus was led into temptation and we delivered him into evil. Our evil. So deliver us from evil, O Lord. Save us from ourselves. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.